BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Geek Vibes Live is rated G for Geek. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another fantastic episode of our Geek Vibes Live interview segment. I'm going to be your host for this evening. I'm Kelly Kantrowitz, and we have a very exciting guest here with us today, writer Helly Kennedy. Helly is the writer of Orphan Black Deviations, which is a comic book that explores how Get this, a single twist of fate can lead the story and characters in an entirely different direction. Um, So all those fan fiction lovers out there, I feel like this is for you and you should definitely check it out. But today she is actually here with us to talk about how Orphan Black is coming back. But it's coming back in one of the most unexpected ways as an audio sequel series. But guess what? Tatiana Maslany is involved in the project as well. So just to give you a little background, um, Temple Street Productions, the production company behind our famed and loved BBC science fiction series, has partnered with a um, new digital fiction startup called Serial Box um, for the audio continuation of the TV show, and it's being called Orphan Black, The Next Chapter, and Helly is one of the writers on it. So according to Temple Street and Serial Box, the next chapter is the official continuation of the Orphan Black story. It's going to be set eight years in the future from where season five left off. And it features a lot of the same characters, if not all of them. They're not giving away many spoilers at this time, but I can say they are all voiced by Maslani. So that's very exciting. Um, so I can't wait to talk to Howie about this. Um, it's going to be a great show. Hello. Hi, Howie. Hi, speaking. Hi, it's Kelly from Geek Vibes Nation. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing really well. I want to thank you so much for giving us the time and joining us on our show to discuss your uh, upcoming project, Orphan Black, the next chapter. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Of course, we're extremely excited to have you. Um, so just diving right in here, what can fans expect from the transition to audio? Um, how does it differ from, let's say, a podcast or an audiobook? book? Um, I would say that, well, it's, 
it's got an audiobook element to it. So we write in prose, and we're in the orphan black universe, except this time we get to delve a little bit deeper into uh, the psychology of clones and other characters and the relationships and see things from more of an internal perspective. So I think that's kind of, I think for people who are a fan of the show, um, they'll see that difference. And it's kind of cool to see that because all of the characters in that universe are so distinctive and so interesting that there's a lot to work with there as a writer. And we had a lot of fun with it. Right. So I'm assuming, you know, when you're watching a show, you as a viewer, um, you know, you get to see what's happening on screen. It's very material, but from an audiobook standpoint, you can delve a little bit deeper into the mindset and the, you know, the reasons why people make the decisions they do and what they're feeling. And is this what we're going to be seeing through the audio? Yeah, definitely. Um, You'll be seeing a lot of that. You'll be understanding characters from a closer perspective. Um, And just to add on to that, another thing that is kind of interesting in audio that you don't always get on screen, uh, we can reveal characters differently and withhold information differently because you won't see someone pop up on screen and go, oh, another clone. We might introduce somebody and then slowly reveal it. Right, right. So there's a lot more mystery and a lot more build-up. I'm a big audio fan, so um, this is definitely right up my alley. I'm very excited for it. Awesome. So Tatiana is an incredibly amazing actress. She has such talent for digging into each character, understanding their psyche, portraying that to the audience. Did you have the opportunity to work directly with her on this project? Um, On this project, it was mainly the writer's room working together and not so much us collaborating with Tat um, during the writing process. Um, But she has come in and she's been recording all of them. And I know Tatiana. I've known her for years prior to the show. So I've worked with her in the past. um, And we worked, although we worked without her, we tried to give her as much character to chew on that she could play with. And because, like you said, she's super talented. I know she's going to take it and run with it and make it awesome. And um, we've thrown, you know, maybe a couple new accents at her just to (laughs) to see uh, (laughs) what will come of that. (laughs) Yeah, just a a friendly challenge. Um, So, yeah, we didn't get the opportunity in the writing room. But, yeah, she's been in for all the recordings for every episode. I am super jealous, and I was going to follow up and ask if she had any influence on the creative process, but it sounds like you guys kind of gave her the bandwidth to take what you have written and kind of run with it in her way that she felt was true to the story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we just tried to build rich characters, and however she interprets that um, in terms of, like, demeanor and performance is totally the balls in her court at that point. Right, right. So I'm curious, um, as a writer, how do you approach transitioning between the clones on paper and getting into the mindset of each of these competing personalities? Oh, man, that's a hard question. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mean to challenge you so hard on this Thursday night, but... No, no, it's good. It's a good question. Um, I think... For me, it's probably, 
I think there's a little bit of every clone in anybody. <laughs> I mean, in me, certainly there's a little bit of Helena, this kind of feral, you know, person. Um, Allison, there's a little Allison in me, a bit of Cosima. So it's kind of like I just get, I try to put myself in that position and think about that side of myself and indulge in it a little bit. Um, and I'd say I always use the show as a touchstone. I go back to it to remind myself of the, of the clone, the character and the tone. It's kind of, it's a hard process to explain because I think it takes a few drafts. Sometimes I'll write dialogue for clones and then, I'll realize I'm not quite there and I'll throw it out and I'll rethink it and I'll keep going back and trying to try to put myself in that situation. I guess some clones like we relate to a little bit more than others, but I do feel like they're so archetypal and they, they tap into so many sides of, of like what could be a single person that you can totally play to each one. Well, anyways, that's how I do it. I don't know how the I don't know how the other writers do it. <laughs> um, maybe that sounds kind of like crazy, but yeah, that's my process. No, is to try I, to. I have to say, as a fellow writer, I completely understand, and I really wanted to ask you that question for myself, just because I feel like sometimes switching from mindset to mindset is such a difficult process, and it 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 does take sometimes going back and either watching or rereading or delving into the character to make sure that you're actually portraying them and you're speaking from their mindset um, than from another, you know, character's perspective. Yeah, exactly. And like focusing on action in the past, because I was writing comics uh, for the show prior to this uh, was kind of the way I try to get into the character because I had the visuals aspect of the medium but I think now when we play more with the psychology and sort of internal monologue like we can use dialogue that's within them uh it's interesting because I can explore thoughts and feelings I would have if I put myself in their position and I think you know it's kind of almost like a writing exercise because you're writing so specifically from one personality's point of view and you're really trying to get in there and indulge in it fast so that it comes across quickly. Um, I find it really interesting to write from that perspective uh, and use action, thought and feeling now in terms of breaking scenes open for different clones. Right. And I think that's, that's the best way to convey to an audience at the end of the day. I mean, you really need to delve into the character. Um, so I find that, incredibly interesting and um thank you for sharing that with us um i'm curious do you have a or feel like you have a special connected uh connection to any one of the clones in particular um some days i feel like helena (laughs) i guess you know you roll out of bed and you can barely form sentences because you just don't really want to talk and you'd rather just grumble your way through I guess this is more like season one and two, Helena. Um, uh, right. <laughs> but I, I guess I also relate a bit to, I like Cosima. I relate to her. I don't know if I find, I, I, I like Cosima a lot. And sometimes I relate to her. I, I think I would hang out with her for sure. Um, but yeah, I think I'm, I'm often like a Helena. <laughs> uh, sometimes a bit of an Allison too. Can't deny that I side, you know. 
I totally hear you. And I, I do feel like you're working with a lot of rare treats here with the personalities where you can get some enjoyment of, out of having to essentially, um, you know, you have the bandwidth to play a little bit more with, with the characters, um, you know, based on who you're talking with. And I think it's funny to a point that you said it, it, it depends on, I'm sure, day of the week, time of the day, right? Um, so you're yeah. relating to different characters based on what's going on in your life, what's going on in your day. And you can call upon those experiences when you're, you know, in the process of writing those characters. So that's incredibly interesting to hear from your point of view. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It is a total treat to be playing with a palette of characters like that because I think, well, for me, the show Orphan Black was about that, was about showing visually someone that's identical but has so many different, there's so many different walks of life and divergent paths that that person uh, could have gone on, you know, and it was kind of shown through all the clones and it kind of, it's, it's a show about empathy in the end and, and trying to make sense of and understand other people. Um, and that's kind of like what I like about writing for that universe. Right. And I think that's, what really drew me into the show to begin with is that um, you don't have to be siloed into one single category of person. You can relate on different levels to these different identities and in different days or at different milestones of your life, you might feel one way or the other. Um, And that's what I love so much about the show, that it gave you the opportunity to explore so many different mindsets and really try to look at it from their perspective and then relate it back to times in your life where you might have experienced something where you would have reacted a certain way or related to that character in a certain way. Um, And I just find that fascinating. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think that's what makes the show what it is, really. I mean, I was a... Sarah, probably my teens and early 20s, you know. Um, I like to think I'm more like Okashima now. Um, and like I said, some, some days of the week I'm a Helena. I totally am with you on that one. Um, were you a fan of the show prior to writing for Orphan Black? Uh, yeah, I, I was a fan of the show. Uh, it was really cool to see a lot of people – Um, some of which I already knew from being in the film and TV industry in Toronto, uh, build and create this show. And then when I started working on it in terms of the graphic novels, it was kind of, it was amazing. It was an amazing opportunity. It was something that kind of took off and really shone and in Toronto uh, in the film and TV industry, especially for TV, it kind of, you know, set a precedent. It was a show that uh, I enjoyed watching and I thought it brought a lot of really cool talent out into the public eye for everybody to, you know, it, it, it got a lot of people noticed, essentially. Um, and yeah. I was really proud of a lot of people working on the show. It's a small community here, so it's not, it's not unusual to see a project or a show get made. And then, you know, it, it contains like, like a lot of the people who are making it are, are your friends. That's actually wonderful. That's great to hear. And um, 
I completely understand. I mean, I am sci-fi is my thing, and I know sometimes shows shy away from categorizing themselves as sci-fi because people have a preconceived notion of what that is. And Orphan Black is one of those shows that did it so eloquently and strategically and just really nailed it to, to show the genre what it is really capable of. Um, and I think that's a really wonderful thing for people who are a fan of that genre because it pulls in so many other fans that would probably never consider this show, you know, their type of thing at the end of the day. Um, and for me, the more people I can get rallied behind, you know, a sci-fi type of show or book, the better. So um, I really think that the way that they um, unveiled the story and kept the mystery and the suspense alive and with all the clones kept everything fresh along the way, um, it really made an impact as a viewer. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with you on that. Um, I think that they did take sci-fi and they they made a genre that at times is, well, ideally is a genre that can reflect society and, and thoughts about human nature um, in a clever kind of entertaining way. But they also took that genre, which sometimes can be cold and distant, and they really brought uh, intimacy and warmth to it through the characters as well and made it super relatable. Um, and they touch on subjects like intellectual property and cloning and science and, you know, um, uh, gen uh, manipulating genetics. So they touched on so many things and it always felt super grounded to me in terms of the people who were the players on the stage discussing this or delving into it. So I was also, for me, in terms of like talking about uh, what they did with the genre, I, I really enjoyed how they used the genre in their own way. Right. I agree with you and um, took an approach to it that, like you said, was very grounded and um, very prevalent for some of the things that are coming out now and the advancements um, they're making in science and technology. So um, definitely a great build that they had on the show. Um, I have to ask for my own sake. Did you ever have a fangirl moment on the show? Uh, in, in what way? You said you knew a lot of the writers, that you knew Tatiana. Oh. So I'm just wondering if you ever had a moment where you kind of geeked out. Um, yeah, I was really excited to meet Jordan Gavaris, who played Felix Dawkins, Sarah Manning's brother. I thought his performance was brilliant. I I just I was really excited to meet him and when I met him in in real life after having only seen him on the show cuz I didn't know him prior to that. Uh I was kind of waylaid by the fact that he doesn't have a British accent at all. You know, and I I, I don't even really remember talking to him much cuz I don't know if I knew what to say or if I was just kind of you know, <laughs> the whole, yeah. Um, but I was really, we're good friends now. And I was really excited to meet him because I just, he blew me away with his performance. He's so talented. Um, so that would be my kind of like 
dorky fangirl moment, <laughs> I would say. Yeah. I love that. And I feel like everyone should have one of those. So, I mean, nothing to be ashamed of. Um, when you're starting a writing project, do you find it more appealing to start it from an infancy, so like brand new blank sheet of paper, or do you like coming into a universe like Orphan Black and piggybacking off of the story? Um, I kind of like, I like either starting something from scratch or jumping into uh, an already formed universe for different reasons. I think there's different satisfaction you get out of writing uh, under both circumstances. Writing from scratch is fulfilling because you get to, you kind of have free reign, which can be dangerous because at a certain point you, I've gone off the rails, you know, and I'm, I'm writing and I'm like, oh my gosh, my, my second act is like really saggy in the middle and I'm, I'm getting, I'm indulging in my characters, but I'm losing my plot. So I've done all that stuff too, but it's really cool because I think what I like about it is I get to, I can world build, I can, I can change things on the fly. I'm not adhering to anything specifically until I cement it for myself. And there's a real genesis of stuff like that. There's a deep satisfaction. I think that's why a lot of people do, right? Um, but working with a pre-designed universe with characters and, and themes and, and uh, kind of dramatic statements that, the universe plays with I think there's a satisfaction in that because it's like working with puzzle pieces and you get to play with them and figure out how can you fit them together in a new way uh, that hasn't been done before and that was challenging writing on the book series I have to say um, our uh, kind of lead writer Malka Older it was her pitch initially where she conceptualized this idea um, for continuation of the Orphan Black story. And it was, it's an amazing concept. And I just kind of like really indulged in it and got into it. But when you start to try to figure out how to build your scenes and how to tell the story you want to tell, there have already been five seasons of Orphan Black. So a lot has happened and you don't want to right. tread the same ground. So it was like kind of, took a lot of time and energy and trying to recall what had happened in past seasons took a lot of that kind of focus to try to rearrange the characters and use them a little bit differently and also continue their arcs to show that they aren't who they were when the show ended. We're um, about, I think eight years in the future where we stand right now with our series. So we tried to evolve them, but also, use them in different ways. It really was just like a story puzzle, which I think I really like that stuff. I like working on IP that's already like, you know, been established for that reason. Cause you get a satisfaction when you figure out a new way to spin it. It's super satisfying. So piggybacking off of that, cause this is such a, a complexity, this universe. And there is a huge fan base that follows it. I mean, we have our clone clubbers, um, are you nervous how they're going to react to the next chapter? Or do you feel like you did justice to the characters while stepping it up a notch? Yes, I'm always nervous about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, uh, I hope, hope, hope they love it even half as much as the show, hopefully as much as the show. Um, 
we really did our best to play with the characters and keep true to them, um, but also keep it fresh and push things forward and introduce new clones. So there's a, a new, there are new storylines and new people to uh, meet. Um, but yeah, it's always terrifying uh, showing your work to super intelligent, passionate fan base. Well, you have one fan right here, so that should, you know, take down your nervous level just a little bit. <laughs> well, thanks. Okay. I'm still nervous. <laughs> I think fans are really excited. I mean, whenever a show ends, it's like you feel <laughs> you're so invested in the characters, you feel like a chapter of your life is almost ending, and that sounds so dramatic, but it, it, it's so true on so many levels. And I think um, – to have this as as another chapter of a next step, and it's still, you know, I'm not going to say so far in the future, but eight years in the future, um, it gives you enough bandwidth to play with it and for the audience to be curious enough about what, what changed and where are they down the road and what has shaped um, what events has shaped them to become where they are now. So I, I think think you're in the good. I want to stay positive here. So um, I'm really excited to see what you guys have come up with. Okay, cool. Thanks. It's nice to hear that after all of us <laughs> have been writing kind of in our own uh, writing room pod. Right, right. And um, so I have a question for my own selfish reasons as a writer. I would um, just love to hear a little bit about your journey as a writer, like where it all started, what your inspiration was, and and how you got to where you are now. Um, Okay. Uh, So for me, I don't know, I've been writing since I was around six. You know, I wanted to write, I was writing weird sci-fi mixed with Nancy Drew novellas as a kid. Uh, I just thought, you know, I, I like the mystery of it, but I wanted it to be a little more compelling. So I was mixing up like other dimensions and strange creatures that, you know, Nancy Drew would meet instead of, you know, solving who stole a locket. Um, and uh, from there uh, into my uh, teens, probably when I was around 11, actually, I started making films with my friends, you know, cause we had a sweet, VHS camcorder that we could record stuff on uh, and edit from tape to tape, you know, super high tech. So we started making films and I sort of just started, um, I kept writing and writing storylines for the films that we made. And that carried on beyond school. And I started to get um, government grants for short films that I was making. And uh, I went to school for it uh, just to carry through and also to make my mom happy, you know, because I was making films, but (laughs) she really wanted me to go to school. Uh, So I went and did that and I focused on writing and directing and did a professional development program afterwards that uh, kind of allowed me to meet a lot of people in the city. Um, And yeah, it kind of just grew from there and kept going and, it was through just, I did a lot of indie work and stuff on my own and my own projects and tried to get money where I could to make them and then put them through festivals and just kind of kept writing a lot of stuff for my own portfolio on at the same time. 
it's the grit, right? And it's the tenacity to keep going. And uh, I have to applaud you for that. And I mean, a lot of it is network connections. So I mean, the more you do and the more people you meet, um, the more opportunities you're exposed to. So I definitely think, uh, you know, keeping at it is the way to go. Thanks. Yeah. And also just showing your work, you know, like getting your work out there. I know it's sometimes nerve wracking uh, to have people read your stuff after you've been working on it for so long. But I mean, I think I just, even though it gave me almost like, you know, panic attack anxiety levels, (laughs) I just kept, you know, submitting my stuff or getting it out to people or trying. And there was a lot of failure and a lot of, you know, opportunities that didn't go ahead um but uh you know you just keep you keep at it you keep showing your work right that's part of the business and I have to say I totally relate to you for the longest time um you know just for others listening you know my anxiety my own anxiety held me back from letting others read my work and it's like you put all this effort and research into crafting something, the best thing you can do is put it in front of others' eyes, and that's how you learn, that's how you grow. Um, And I I just want to encourage everybody out there that whatever your project may be or whatever your passion may be, um, if it's in the creative industry or if it's in another one that you just keep fighting and you keep putting your work out there, take the failure, take the feedback, and you learn and you grow on it. I mean, that's that's how you become who you are. So true. That's so true. So if you had a dream project that you could work on, I mean, with any director, actor, writer, or just a series you're in love with, what would your dream project be? Like what would I love to be working on right now? Yeah. Um. Well, I'd love to write uh, like a personal project that's not, you know, an, a project that's already out there. I'd love to um, write a fantasy uh, series, probably like okay. novels as well as a televised version. Great. Well, I hope to see that from you in the future. Thank you. Yeah, I'm working on a kid's book right now, which is kind of a standalone thing, but it's kind of my my worry my pushing myself into um into writing for that kind of genre fantasy uh children's novel great i love it and um i guess just to wrap up i mean are there any small teasers or spoilers you can give us you know just to get people hyped up for the release of the next chapter um, yeah, I think so. And I, I, I don't know if I'm going to get slapped on the hand for this, but um, there, <laughs> I, I, maybe I'm revealing too much. Uh, we have a new clone, um, and this new clone has a fairly dangerous job. And uh, it's sort of within her scope to be able to impersonate other people, which is kind of interesting because, you know, Orphan Black did a lot of those clone swap scenes. So we've got um, some of that, but this time around the reason for it is, is really enmeshed into our clones work. Um, And I would say another thing 
that happens later on in the series and you have to listen a little way in to get to it. We hit the clones with something huge that means they won't be able to live in the way that they've been living prior to the the beginning of our series. Uh, They have to basically... Oh, how do I say this without completely just giving it away? Um, they they basically have to face the world in a whole other way because of a massive event that happens um, about like a little bit into our series. Hey, I say that's enough to get people to want to listen. So um, I know you're limited with what you can <laughs> reveal, but perfect. That is perfect. Um, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you. Um, can you quickly tell our audience where they can access Orphan Black, the next chapter? Yep, you can find Orphan Black, the next chapter on SerialBox.com. Serial like serialized television, not cereal that you eat and box. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, you can buy the, um, the season there now. Uh, you can pre-order it. Awesome. And when's its release? Its release uh, is for September 12th, so it's coming up. Perfect, perfect. We can't wait for that. And um, is there anything you want to plug about upcoming projects before I let you go? Uh, Upcoming projects? Well, I'm working on my kids' book, The Penny Discount, uh, which is kind of about two very precocious girls who learn about credit debt through magic. and, uh, yeah, and I'm also working on uh, an unannounced video game, so I guess I can't really plug that. And I was working on another video game called Watch Dogs Legion that's coming out uh, later next year. Awesome. That's so exciting, and I'm very happy for you. And I just have to say thank you once again for um, joining us. It's been really a pleasure speaking with you, and I hope we have an opportunity to connect in the future once again. Yeah, I would love to. Awesome. Well, thank you. And I cannot wait to see how everything pans out with uh, Orphan Black the next chapter. Thank you. Thanks so much for, uh, for doing this and taking the time, too. Oh, you got it. Have a good night. Okay, good night. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.